there's an enormous difference in the dialogue that goes on among theologians of different faith traditions than prayers and meditators in different in different traditions. And, you know, when you're down at the level of practice, I think, you know, you can see much more resonance of the experience between different faith traditions than when you're just dealing at the level of doctrine. You're listening to Find the Good News, Episode 67, The Disciple, a Beacon Series conversation featuring author of Growing in Love and Wisdom, Ignatian trained spiritual director and retreat leader, Susan Stabile. Find the Good News is produced by Parker Brand Creative Services, a branding agency that thinks sideways, pushes forward, and gets your brand up. See what else we do at parkerbrandup.com. Thank you for seeking out good news by tuning into this podcast. Today's Beacon Series episode features my conversation with Susan Stabile. After an exodus from her Catholic upbringing, Susan spent 20 years practicing Buddhism and was ordained as a Tibetan Buddhist nun. Susan returned to the Catholic faith of her youth and now serves as a spiritual director, retreat leader, and lecturer. She wrote the book Growing in Love and Wisdom, Tibetan Buddhist Sources for Christian Meditation, a work that has become a great treasure to me in my own spiritual journey. I'm really pleased to be able to share this conversation with you. If you are an Early Riser Patreon supporter, then you'll already know that this will be the last numbered episode of 2019. I've got some really great interviews scheduled during the month of December, but I'm going to take some time away from production, using that time to reflect and be with my family. I'm sure there will be a journal episode mixed in, as well as a B-Sides episode for my Patreon supporters. But if you're a primary listener, then 67 is the official last episode for 2019. Speaking of Patreon, I have to ask you for your support. Week by week, the Good News mission is gaining new ground, but it does take a lot of work. The great thing is that I love doing it but it does have to happen between the raindrops at Parker Brand Creative Services. If you want to help me increase the good news signal, you can do that by heading over to patreon.com slash findthegoodnews. Your monthly support as an Early Riser patron really does help keep the good news fire burning. That's patreon.com slash findthegoodnews. That's all the announcements I have today. You've made the time to listen, found a space to do the listening, You've settled your mind. You've opened your heart. Everything about these actions says you're ready to hear something that will help you on your own pilgrim's journey. So go ahead and press play on a little good news. If you listen to this show, then you've often heard me allude to a spiritual experience that took place when I was a much younger man. While I've spared the full linear details, it is sufficient to say that the experience changed my mind and gave me a reason to follow my heart. In an attempt to understand this experience of my youth, I wandered as a pilgrim, searching and studying the religions and wisdom traditions of the world. While I found treasures in many, I have never felt more at home than I have in the teachings of Jesus the Christ and Siddhartha Gautama, the Buddha. Living with one foot in each of these religions has been an enlightening journey. It has not been without its difficulties, especially in finding an organized religious tradition I could wholeheartedly call home. Regardless of this challenge, I have adopted much from the traditions of Christianity and Buddhism. While there are defined differences between them, I have found that love, mercy, compassion, 
kindness, and wisdom rise clearly to the top. It is from these that I arrange the bouquet of my personal spiritual practice and most of my perspectives. I feel very blessed to have been born at this time on earth. The last 3,000 years have been filled with discord, conflict, war, and violence. It has also given rise to powerful voices of unity, diversity, and harmony. In the last 100 years alone, humans have gained unprecedented access to information. Many extraordinary beings have used that information to learn, grow, and find common ground. They have focused on the beauty we share while still remaining grounded firmly in the traditions and teachings of their unique cultures. In seeking voices such as these, I have been honored to read the works of Mohandas K. Gandhi, Walt Whitman, Ram Das, J. Krishnamurti, Henry David Thoreau, Lao Tzu, Brother David Steindl Rast, Tenzin Gyatso, the 14th Dalai Lama of Tibet, Martin Luther King Jr., and Thich Nhat Hanh. Today, I share these names and this more extended reflection with you because it is all highly relevant to the nature of Find the Good News and my special guest. You see, recently, I added a new name to the list of wise voices I've come to treasure, and that name is Susan Stabile. I discovered Susan's work while seeking podcasters that may be discussing the writings of the Trappist monk and author Thomas Merton. I landed on a podcast called Creo en Dios, which translates, I believe in God. I do believe, so I pressed play. I listened, my mind was enlivened, my heart was opened, I pressed play again, and again, and again. What I found in Susan's lectures was a highly Catholic voice that seemed to dance effortlessly with teachings of other wisdom traditions. She dialed beautiful practices from Buddhism into a life of Christian prayer. Susan's lectures, of which there are over a hundred, became a part of my weekly spiritual life. She presented Christian teachings and scripture in a way that felt like home for me, and in all truth, the experience was very healing. Her lectures have become a part of the journey both in and out of my annual spiritual retreat, framing the beginning and the end of that yearly journey. Her book, Growing in Love and Wisdom, Tibetan Buddhist Sources for Christian Meditation, presents slightly retooled Buddhist methods for Christians or anyone seeking to deepen their existing prayer life. Discovering her work has been a treasure I did not know I was seeking. Her agreeing to visit with me on this Beacon Series episode allows that work to reverberate even further so that it may enter new hearts and minds. It is my great pleasure to send this Good News Beacon out to you. This is my conversation with Susan Stabile. Up the story, I can hear the way it's going because you're laughing in your sleep on the path to your deliverance in a holy wall of light. Old news, bad news, fake news. Sometimes you want to shut those signals down and seek a better source. With my Find the Good News Beacon series, I tune into good people doing good works wherever I can find them. I scan across the full spectrum of life, seeking out human beings that have turned their dials towards helping others, aligning their time, resources, and talents with goodness, justice, mercy, and love. In each episode, I sync up with the hearts and minds of my extraordinary guests 
we have dynamic conversations that invigorate the mind long after our transmission has ended. I discover the critical life experiences that shape them, the perspectives that drive them, and the fundamental beliefs that have anchored them to a path of goodness. There's a lot of background noise in the world. My name is Oren Parker, and I'm cutting through the static to find the good. Thank you for taking the time to do this. It's honestly a really a big treat for me, to be honest with you. Uh, I would love it if you don't mind, if you could, in, in your own words, let the listeners know who I'm talking to. That way I don't try. I don't mess it up. <laughs> <laughs> well, my name is Susan Stabile. I am an Ignatian trained spiritual director and retreat leader. Uh, my day job for many years was as a legal academic, uh, although I've also taught uh, in a master's in theology program at St. Catherine's University here. But now, I guess as a technical matter, I'm retired, although my husband laughs when I say that, given my schedule. <laughs> but mostly what I do is spiritual direction and retreat work right now. Okay. Well, I, I got to tell you, my my path to you is is interesting at least for me it's interesting it may not be so interesting to everybody else but i i'm confirmed catholic Mm -hmm. but only recently in the last couple of years and it's been sort of a, a strange cycle for me i i struggle with it to be quite honest with you i've struggled with it uh almost since the beginning it's been a strange strange experience for me but i come from a background i guess i'd say when when i when i uh when i discovered your work it was interesting let me just tell you to frame this out for you so i live in southwest louisiana so we're down in the bible belt you know right Mm -hmm. on the gulf coast so i spent you know 20 years or more just sort of um after a i guess a spiritual experience that really changed my life and that's the real short version of that. Most of us have some story like that sure, sure. without getting into the details. But it was something that really changed my life in my 20s. But it was sort of unfounded, right? There was no framework. And so when I had this sort of experience, I really didn't know. It. I went on sort of, I guess what you'd call a, a, pilgrim, a pilgrim's journey, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, wanted to, I wanted to figure out what had happened, basically. And so... I just looked everywhere. So I landed in these two. Uh, I looked at a lot of places, but I landed in sort of these two major silos of, of Christianity and, and Buddhism. <laughs> <laughs> right. And for years, you know, for me, I guess coming coming and going between the two and reading and studying and, and trying to frame out my life based on these two traditions, uh, I felt a little homeless. If that makes any sense. Yeah, of course. Uh, you know, I couldn't keep both feet in one or the other. Mm-hmm. And so I find I found like my the language I was using would would easily for me flow from one to the other. But I couldn't find conversations Got where it. I could yeah. have those kinds of talks. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah. anyway, fast forward <laughs> to, to being 45 years old from 20 something years old. And I was uh, I love Thomas Merton, you know, read a lot of his work. And Mm -hmm. one morning I happened to be at the gym and I was listening to podcasts and I said, you know, I've never looked up Thomas Merton to see if anybody out there is having any conversations on podcasts about Thomas Merton. So I I did a quick search, landed on Creo and Dias, and you happened to be talking about him. Right. I listened to one of your talks and listened to another one. 
and then I listened to another one, and I told Yikes, my wife. there's about 170 <laughs> of them on there. So. Well, I'm not, I'm not even done with them all, you know. I mean, it's become your your podcast, your your lectures or, or speaking has become a really great source resource for me. It's like refreshment. So I came home. I told my wife. I said, man, I started listening to someone that you really should listen to. And she was like, really? I was like, oh, yeah. I said, I don't know how to tell you why. I don't know exactly. It's the the. There's a wide berth of topics that she's talking about. I said, but man, there's just something special in her voice. And, and what she's saying is just, I don't know, I feel refreshed by it. And then you happened to mention that you had been a Tibetan Buddhist nun. And I said, ah, okay. So while you weren't talking about that, I just felt mm-hmm. like I was picking up on sure. some of that language, that fluidity mm-hmm. that I had been seeking. So anyway, right. I'm telling you all of that to kind of segue into why I've reached out to you, because I read your book, Growing in Love and Wisdom, which was an incredible treat for me. <laughs> and so I'd like to kind of dive in from there. Sure, sure. Yeah, and, and you know, my own background, well, not exactly the same as yours. I mean, I was raised as a Roman Catholic, uh, Catholic school all my, you know, young life, everything in our lives. Yeah. I mean, I grew up in New York City in the 60s. Everything in our life revolved around our parish, all the activities that we did. And in high school, I just gave it up. I decided I didn't believe in the Catholic Church, didn't believe in God. Uh, so I went off to college really with no spiritual life at all. I didn't at all think it was ironic that I went off to a Jesuit Catholic college despite (laughs) that, but anyway. uh, And then when I was in law school was when I was really exposed to Buddhism in a serious way for the first time and started meditating in a Buddhist center. Uh, But then I graduated from law school and went to work in a large New York City law firm working, you know, 90 gazillion hours a week, uh, uh, which didn't leave too much time for meditation. So I actually asked my law firm to send me to Hong Kong. Uh, Not that there's any active Buddhism there, but at least put me in proximity to Buddhist countries. And so spent a couple years there and then quit, literally quit my job and gave away just about everything. And spent two years in Buddhist monasteries and retreat centers, including, as you mentioned, ordaining as a Tibetan Buddhist nun. Uh, I came back to the States and still practiced Buddhism for a while, and um, ironically, it was my my daughter uh, to at the time she was born I was still kind of practicing Buddhism in the states but when she was eight she asked for Catholic religious education yeah. and that put me back in a situation where I was hearing the voice and you know like you say you have an experience it's hard to put into words I mean the, the short answer when people ask me about my returning to Christianity from Buddhism is well the Holy Spirit I don't yeah. know what else really to to say but as you say you you quite Right. I don't call myself a Buddhist Christian or a Christian Buddhist. I mean, my my spirituality is Christian and, and Christocentric, but there's no question that I bring back to my Christianity now a tremendous amount of what I learned and practiced as a Buddhism. And I, while I'm not someone that says, oh, all religions are alike, I do think there's a lot in the Buddhist tradition that is extraordinarily helpful. And that's one of the things, obviously, that led, that led me to write the book, um, the meditation book. Yeah, well, it's a wonderful book. I, I got to tell you a little bit, and hopefully this will create some interesting conversation for us. I um, 
for me, I, I really never had one particular tradition that I leaned towards. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would, you know, I read obviously, you know, when you're just out there seeking, you can't help but run across the works of Thich Nhat Hanh, the Dalai sure. Lama, Shogyam Chongpa, sure. people like that. And so I was heavily influenced by a lot of those writings. And so I guess it, it was very strange because when someone would, it's very common for people here to ask you, where do you go to church? Right. And, and that's for me, never been a simple answer because I, in those, those two decades there, I would say, well, I don't go to church. That's the, that's the simple answer. And right. that creates an, a whole a door being opened where you're being invited to different things. And I, I always found it was very difficult to have those talks because when you say, well, I'm sort of uh, without a church, but I'm mm-hmm. studying Buddhism sort of on my own. Right. Right. In a in a Christian centric society, that's not always well received because Buddhism is sort of alien, you know. And sure. I wondered if you experienced any of that type of thing when you uh, returned to Catholicism. You know, and I, I think it's that that kind of reaction may be well. None of this is monolithic. I think you probably get some more of that reaction in conservative Protestant denominations than you do at least in certain segments of Catholic. Mm. Um, I mean, as I say, I, I kind of, once I, I, I walked into a Jesuit retreat house one day and never never kind of walked out of there. Yeah. And, and there, in there, in that community, there's certainly a large openness. But there's no question that there are large numbers of Roman Catholics as well as um, Protestant Christians who are nervous and uncomfortable about anything that comes out of their outside of yeah. their own tradition. Um, and I, whereas I've found that, you know, and I think I say this in, in the one of the, in the opening of, of the book, that I found when I came back to Christianity that almost uh, in instinctively or or without thought that certain images or certain meditations from my Buddhist practice would just arise. I mean, some of these Buddhist meditations are perfectly suited to thinking about loving loving in the way Christ invites a Christian yes, yes. Um, to love. And, you know, and the other thing I think we have to keep in mind here is that, you know, there's an enormous difference in the dialogue that goes on among theologians of different faith traditions than prayers and meditators mm. in different in different traditions right. and you know when you're down at the level of practice i think you know you can see much more resonance of the experience between different faith traditions than when you're just dealing at the level of doctrine and i'm happy i know it i'm helpless sorry for interrupting the conversation but i have something i need to tell you about You may or may not know this, but this podcast is produced in the city of Sulphur, Louisiana, one of the sister cities that make up Southwest Louisiana. All of my childhood memories are wrapped up in the city of Sulphur. It's my home, and it's been a good home for most of my life. There is a growing diversity of unique businesses, services, and events in Sulphur, each with a rich and colorful story to tell about their particular place in this little jewel on the west side of the Calcasieu River. My mission is to promote good news, to put a positive signal out in the world. That's why my team at Parker Brand Creative Services has created the new brand, Sulphur Today. Here's how it works. Post your Sulphur event, service, photos, videos, or information using the hashtag Sulphur Today. That's it. My team and I will scan and curate those posts through the social media platforms we've put in place. Before you make your post, just type hashtag, that's a pound sign for the folks that don't know what a hashtag is, 
and the words sulfur today with no space. My team at Parker Brand is monitoring this tag right now, and they're ready to create positive digital curb appeal for our city by sharing all the very best sulfur has to offer through the sulfur today social media pages. As the sulfur today project grows, we will be scheduling interviews and video sessions with businesses, events, and services so they can tell their story of sulfur today in a series of ongoing micro documentaries. Look for the eye-catching sulfur today sign when you're out and about and be ready. We may be stopping by to visit you for a photo op. And don't forget to stop by the Parker Brand Creative Services Studio in Sulphur to grab a Sulphur Today decal for your vehicle or business. We want people visiting our area to know that they can find all the wonderful things we have to offer with ease and be a part of our history by utilizing the Sulphur Today pages or by searching the Sulphur Today hashtag. Do you want to help us tell the story of Sulphur Today? Here's what I need you to do right now. Visit and like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash sulfur today. And be sure to share positive sulfur information and post often using the hashtag sulfur today. Now, back to find the good news. Yeah, see, that's what I found was happening with me. I love people. I love engaging mm -hmm. with people and I love spending time with people and learning about their uniqueness. And, and even when it comes to whatever they believe their faith tradition might be or whatever they're practicing, I'm always very curious, you know, how mm -hmm. is that affecting your life? How is that um, connecting you with other people in the world and, and engaging you with in, in love and compassion towards your fellow man or whatever that may be? But what I found for me, I've spent a lot of my life having to first prove that it was okay mm -hmm. for me to be having uh, practicing the way I was practicing. I felt like I was spending a lot of energy doing that first before I could even mm -hmm. get to the real connection. And often the connection wouldn't happen because it felt like there was, there was a barrier that was built up right there that we just couldn't seem to get over. And I think a lot of that might just have to be with where I live. Honestly, I was just going to say, cause I was going to say that's not been my experience, but that might, in, in some sense, be the difference between living in New York or in the Twin Cities, where <laughs> right. in Minnesota, where I'm now living, and living in Southwest Louisiana. Yeah, right. It's a little mm -hmm. bit different here. Um, now, granted, I'm not going to say it's been uh, well. I'm not going to say it's not been hateful. I mean, I've actually I was a little discouraged. I'll give you the short version. When I was, and I would call it a mystical type experience. When I felt myself being drawn to the Catholic Church, I can remember taking my wife to lunch and telling her what was going on, and she was like looking at me aghast. Like she grew up Catholic, but she was going, "I can't believe I'm hearing you say these things." Like after everything I know about you, why in the world would you be gravitating toward that? I said, "Well, I got to be honest with you. This isn't an intellectual type thing. I am not reading a book that's saying." Oh, I'm convinced now that this is the truth. It had nothing to do with this. This was this is very experiential, and I feel like I'm being drawn to this to, to Catholicism. And so when I entered, I think I I had I think I had rose colored glasses on. I mean, I was really just drawn and this in the truth of what you said, you know, just prayer and meditative spaces, I was being drawn towards the heart of Jesus. That's just literally as simple as I could say it, and that felt like home. It was when I started to encounter my brothers and sisters who didn't have an experiential right. faith, but more of an intellectual <laughs> faith, that I ran into some barriers where, where some real hateful type things mm -hmm. arose. And it really shocked me. I was like, how 
how do these things come out of a space that is uh, surrounded a burning, bleeding heart? I just couldn't quite make um, make peace with that. I'm still struggling with it, to be honest with you. Yeah. So that's been kind of my experience. Yeah, and I think there are those elements within the Catholic Church as well as in other Christian churches. And and I guess for myself, coming back to Catholicism after 20 years of practicing Buddhism, I mean. I would say that my I view my, my view my primary identity as Christian disciple. Uh, I worship yes. in a Catholic church because uh, that was my home when I was when I was young, and it feels like home. And 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 this goes to one of the points you made earlier that I do think there's something different that happens in communal worship and engagement than in individual prayer and meditation. So I do think I do find personal value in being part of a faith community, yeah. albeit. An imperfect one, and uh, you know, I feel like about every six or eight months, I go through one of these. Why am I Catholic? Oh yeah, um, yeah, okay. <laughs> and maybe the answer is because the answer the disciples give Jesus at the end of the Bread of Life discourse in the sixth chapter of John, like where else would I go? Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, yeah, none of this stuff is perfect. But uh, the question, I guess, is how you ultimately identify sure. yourself. And as I say, for me, coming back to this, when I when I was struck with this sense of coming back to God, it was coming back to God in Christ. Mm. And so that's how I view my primary identity. Yes. But, you know, I'm part of the Catholic Church. That was the church of my youth. Uh-huh. I don't see any point in finding another christian Uh, community to be part of um yeah no i I get that that makes sense see i wish i had that experience honestly i mean listening to you and and i've been reading your book too i i got that experience and honestly it made me happy and it gave me a lot of joy i haven't had that experience here Mm -hmm. and i think again i i've I've just come to believe that it has a lot to do as you seem to agree to that it's just where i happen to live because see um i've been on several retreats and uh i'll just give you an example and it's it's kind of negative, but I'll just tell you the way it happened. I went on a retreat and uh, a men's retreat, and in the whole retreat, there was this whole um, almost like an agenda that I wasn't aware of. I went there for <laughs> for a different reason, but what the agenda seemed to be was is to get men to go back home and get their families in line. Oh, wow. You know, like get their families yeah, that's, in line. that's pretty disconcerting. <laughs> yeah, and so I didn't really enjoy that, and I, I left there, and I saw so this, well, okay, there's got to be more to this. And so I started going to some of the small groups. You know, a lot of retreats will have small groups that break out. And so in going to the small group, like one of my third maybe experiences, I was still in the initiate stage, I guess, of this, where it's like, hey, we're getting to know you. And one evening, one of the um, men that was leading the group had asked me, so what they had heard I was a convert. They were calling me a, the convert, you know, in the group. And I said, okay, well, I'm a, yeah, I'm a convert. And they're like, oh, where, where did you used to go to church? And when I said, well, you know, the short answer is I, I practice Buddhism. And uh, this is, I wrote it down because this is what he said. He said, um, well, it's good that we've drawn you away from all of that satanic stuff. And I, I really was aghast. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I went home and that was where the, my conflict began because I thought, how am I going to, how am I going to do this? When I'm being, it was very strange. I felt like Christ was drawing me into a, a strange, yeah. uh, a strange predicament. No, that would be pretty. That would be pretty <laughs> off-putting. That would be pretty off-putting. Yeah. Yeah. So you're being drawn in, but at the same time you're being repelled. And I said, okay, I, I'm having a hard time. And so right. I've just 
what I've come to call myself very similar to you as ago. You know, I, I'm a brother is what I've yeah. just come to believe in myself, a brother and a child of God. And when I can practice Catholicism, I almost have to practice privately. The community aspect just hasn't worked out for me. Right. And that's right. unfortunate because I, I yeah, really, that is a, that is unfortunate. It really is. Yeah, I, um, I one of the things I wanted to ask you is what the value of that is to you in, in Buddhism and Catholicism in those dual experiences. What was that like for you, community? Is that something that was very important in both of those? You know, when I was when I when I was living in in Buddhist communities in Nepal and India, and 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 in some sense that was part of the difficulty because neither country is itself a Buddhist country. Westerners there were subject to visa restrictions, and yeah. so for me, one of the difficulties precisely was that we were always back and forth. I always, you know, I could be in Nepal for a while, then I had to travel to India for a while, and so maybe you and I would meet at you know Kopan Monastery in Kathmandu. We'd be together a couple of days, and you're going off one place, I'm going off another, and so there was community, but not stable. Yeah. Um, community. And that I did find hard. I mean, leaving, leaving aside other things like the difficulty of the physical conditions there. Sure. But it was not stable um, community. And ultimately, that was something that I, that I missed. Um, and coming back to the States, though, you know, was a much broader issue about, you know, I was living in Tibetan communities that could barely support themselves, let alone Westerners. And so, sure. you know, I've been a lawyer before. There was a limit to how long I thought I could stay out of the States and still earn a living. Um, but I did not find, I found it hard to find a Buddhist community that worked well for me when I moved back to the States. And part of that, um, leave aside whether this was a good thing or not, whether it was a prideful ego thing or not, but that when I first came back, I had almost the sense that a lot of the Buddhist places in the States are kind of Buddhist light. Yeah, okay, um, I get that. And so I did find it hard to find a community that I was was happy with. So I felt in some sense where I was a little bit isolated um, in my last years as a, as a Buddhist back in the United States. Yeah, I understand what you're saying, because I, I've always kind of been, and whether it's, I don't know why, maybe it's just some conditioning, but I've always <laughs> been a little bit um, apprehensive of trends. And, I, and, you know, I've watched Buddhism become very trendy in in the in uh in our culture you know and get sort of thrown in with sort of some new age activities or or get labeled as sort of like oh that's um it's cool to do to pick and choose and pluck from and 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 wear beads and things like that you know what i mean it, yes. it's become yeah. like a something you can wrap yourself in and and sound very peaceful but when i when i think about it for me it's it, a lot of it ha and christianity too my 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 christian faith both of those are mostly practiced on my front porch you know what i mean like that's where yeah. it really works for me like in the world that i'm actually living in not so much in a temple i love going to those sacred spaces mm -hmm. i love mm -hmm. you know but the reality is they have to work for me in traffic and sure. they have to work for me you know, when I'm shopping or whenever right. I'm, you know, talking to someone, I mean, no, those things right. are, to me, that's where it all matters the most. And I find a lot of times in the, in a, in a fundamentalist culture that I kind of live in on the, on the coast, that's less important than just doing things the way 
you're told to sort of do them you know make yeah. sure you're going or to all i would the- say or to say you believe the things that you're supposed to believe yeah, you, know, you right. check the box of you know and right and my as i say you know my own spirituality is heavily ignition after you know the saint ignatius of loyola who yeah. founded the jesuits and you know his emphasis is precisely on finding god in all things and on discerning how i'm uniquely being called to build god's kingdom right here right now so you, you know? you've obviously um went through the spiritual exercises of saint mm-hmm. ignatius then so what's, yeah i made them myself and i direct other people doing them as you well you do okay yeah what, what is that like what was that like for you when you first did the exercises and and now sharing that with other people what have you seen <laughs> Uh, for me, it was absolutely life changing. I mean, it was. I, I made the, the, the traditional way of making the exercises is in a 30 day residential retreat. But Ignatius, even at the time he wrote the exercises, recognized that it wasn't always easy for people, even in his time, to absent themselves from their lives for a month. And so I made them the way many lay people make them today in the what's called a retreat in daily living over the course of eight months, where you meet weekly with a director one on one and then are given prayer material every day and as i said it was life changing. it was during it was really that experience during that experience that i discerned my own call to train as a spiritual director and in retreat house ministry and so it really is not an exaggeration to say that experience changed my life completely so as i understand i've never done the exercises i've read about them you know and i, I follow many mm-hmm. jesuits uh, online actually because I, I, I tend to find that that voice seems to speak to me and uh as I understand, there's some imaginative exercises, right, where you engage your imagination heavily. Is Can you kind of just describe that? Because there's maybe a lot of people listening that don't really know that what that is. Sure, sure. And, I mean, the premise that I think Ignatius works under is that God will use anything to get our attention, you know, and that includes using our imagination and our dreams and everything else and other mm-hmm. people. And so um, – uh, not not exclusive. There are some considerations in particular meditations, but uh, a not insignificant part of the prayer in the spiritual exercises is praying with gospel scenes, scenes out of the life of Jesus. And he encourages a way of praying with Scripture. Obviously, there's lots of ways to pray with Scripture, but a way where you actually put yourself right in the gospel scene. And set the scene, read this read the passage, set the scene, put yourself in it somewhere, and then simply allow it to unfold. Mm. Now to be clear, you're not there, there people that sometimes get confused about this idea of using your imagination. You're not making up the story. You're letting God speak through your imagining of this mm, experience. Okay. I can see that. It, that's pretty fascinating. I have another guest who talks heavily, who's been on and talks heavily about imagination. Now, he, his experience, I'll just quickly share it with you. He um, had a debilitating disease. And he was bedridden. Mm-hmm. And since he was laying in bed and he was bedridden, he, he found some teachings exploring God through imagination. Now, they weren't Ignatian. I believe it was mm-hmm. Neville, Neville Goddard. Um, and so he explored these these practices engaging God through his imagination and he began imagining himself um, in situations that would imply that he was healed mm-hmm. and I know him personally he it, this is really what happened to him over a series a period of time after doing these exercises and and believing that these things were happening that he had to be healed to do these things one day he, he gets up and it's all gone wow completely healed and so it's, it's changed his life not only physically is he healed, but it's also completely reworked his whole worldview. 
you know, and his and his relationship to God. And and I, mm-hmm. so I find when I when I hear that about Saint Ignatius and those exercises, and then mm-hmm. I hear what he's saying, I love seeing right. those sort of nodes where they cross over, and you go. You know. Sure, and as you know from my book as well, in the Tibetan Buddhist Lamrim, which is the the area of practice that I engaged in the most, it, it comes out of the Galupa tradition. In fact, I just finished. I just this past weekend gave a, a three day retreat on parallels between the Tibetan Buddhist Lamrim and the spiritual exercises. Oh, wow. But but that prayer system itself also makes tremendous use of imagination. And and part of it is that both systems recognize, and this goes back to your point before about, you know, what people say and believe, is that ultimately conversion is an experience of the heart. Mm. And the these prayer exercises where I'm using imagination really have the potential to touch at a incredibly deep level that's much deeper than simply thinking about yeah. things. Yeah, you know, uh, and I talk in the book about some examples of basic Buddhist and Christian truths that you know, accepting them at the intellectual level is one thing, but really having a full, deep affective sense of them is a very, very different. Yeah, right, right. A guy, totally, I relate to everything you're saying right there. That's that's always been when I went through RCIA. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember I was I was actually I got in late, so I was a week or two late i went to the third class and when i walked in i remember um this very well the first thing a guy walked up to me and goes hey he goes i have the answers from uh the last two weeks if you just want to fill in the blanks that way you can be all caught up and i i'm not making fun of him by saying that but i remember going home and telling again sharing with my wife i said wow i said that's just not what i'm there for and I feel alone. I don't know why. And it might be my own mind. I said, you know, it could just be my own mind framing this up. So I started to feel very alone in the, in the fill in the blanks environment. Yeah, and you know, when I taught RCIA, and I made clear to people, I mean, I I ran an RCIA program for a couple years in a parish and made clear to people that my interest is not, here's the list of things you have to learn so you can stay your Catholic, but it really is about a commitment to active discipleship mm. right and a, and a living a living committed relationship with god yeah yeah the word otherwise if you don't have that i don't really care what you label yourself it doesn't mean it doesn't make any difference yeah no i agree i, I i'm in the same I, I i feel exactly the same way one of the words that i've i've tended to lean towards in talking about that and, and again, it's all built into the language of the faith. Is is the body of Christ, and it's an mm-hmm. organism, you know, and that you're really you're kind of a shoot off of that body. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, as as a and something very attractive to me about being a Christian is the idea of sort of slowly allowing, or maybe even incredibly quickly allowing, the identity of Christ to eventually become your identity essentially i mean to be to join the body you know i mean well that's what paul says right it's no longer i but christ who lives in me that's the the aspiration right so that i decrease and christ increases yeah right right and that's very beautiful to me i find Mm -hmm. great value in that type of language um one of the things i wanted to talk to you about today which was very important to me and it was one of the great treasures of this book and i did not know it until i started reading it that that was really what I was going to hear about was Tong Lin. And, uh, you know, I'll tell you briefly, uh, my experience with that kind of came at the right time. My mother had cancer. And so I was spending a lot of time during that period going to all of her treatments with her, going to all of her doctor visits. So there was a lot, a lot of time sitting in uncomfortable waiting rooms. And so 
up until that point, I've got to be honest, I had kind of laid my spiritual life down for 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 a brief bit. But for some reason, when I um, when I began taking her, I happened to go through my my ridiculously large and chaotic book library. I think you and I may have talked about that online. <laughs> I buy more books than I can read. But right. I had a book by Pema Chodron called When Things Fall Apart that I had bought mm-hmm. 10 years prior. And I happened to write inside, remember that you bought this for yourself when you need it most. And I thought, well, that's funny. I left myself that note. I guess I'll just read this while I'm in the waiting room. And so she happened to be talking about Tonglin and and Bodhisattva and compassion and all that. And I said, well, this is a great opportunity for me to practice this for myself and for my mother, Mm -hmm. you know, while she's going through her treatments. And so I began practicing this this Tonglin. And I, I, again, I wasn't calling myself a Buddhist, but I kept finding there was a... I kept gravitating towards this idea of the sacred heart of Jesus as I would do these practices, this sort of inflaming and glowing, but yet wounded. Mm-hmm. And anyway, there was sort of a mixture of imagination involved in there, too. So when I got to your book, of course, I'm seeing this bridge right here. And that's what I, I saw this book as for me. I was like, oh, wow, this book just hits right into this territory of this particular type of prayer. So. That's my spill on it, but I would love it if you could just share with the, the listeners what that is, how you discovered it, what it means to you, and, and, and how you've modified that for Christians. Yeah, I mean, Tonglen, the word Tonglen uh, is, is a Tibetan word that, that literally means giving and taking, uh, which pretty much accurately describes what goes on in the meditation. And, and the goal of the meditation is to combat what, what Buddhists say is that our, our significant problems stem from our self, self-cherishing heart, right? That says, I'm more important than other things. You know, I want my happiness. I want my freedom from suffering. And the goal of this meditation is to try to cut through that by intentionally um effectively willing myself to take on the suffering of others. And so in the meditation, we tend to start with someone that we have feelings of love for because it's easy to say, you know, with someone I love, well, of course, I would do anything mm. to alleviate their suffering. And and there are different ways of practicing it. You know, in one way, I imagine as I'm inhaling, you know, I imagine their suffering taking the form of of black smoke or whatever in their body and imagine myself as i inhaling taking that in in and then breathing out to them healing you know white light and energy and um it's a hard practice to really do because what you're really saying is yes i am willing to take on all of the suffering of someone now most buddhist lamas will say that you know in the case of ordinary people you're not actually taking their suffering from them although you know we all know that all sorts of things have effect on it but but that primarily what's changed is yourself it's yes. that it's that breaking that that heart that says I want to avoid my own suffering and I'm willing to take on the suffering of others it can be a very very powerful experience I actually just that was one of the last meditations we did in this retreat I just did this last week again and I think people find it a very powerful experience I think that for me Buddhism and Christianity mm-hmm both that that's that was always the core message for me is to not run well i mean let me back up i mean buddhism you know of course tells you life is suffering there's a path that leads to the end of suffering um and then we see christ enter into suffering and so there's this strange dichotomy there that i always have found very attractive i feel like both messages for me have worked well together and 
when I see when I, when I was experiencing and prior, praying that way with Tonglin, I would get that that feeling of, and I know this may sound strange to some listeners, but this feeling of like perhaps even this is what Christ may have felt feel like feels like for all of us. Like I take all your suffering upon me. You know, I take all your, your sin upon me. And so when, for me, that particular prayer, I was like, this is, this is incredible because for just the the briefest little, you know, fraction, you can, you can get into that mindset, that heart space. And uh, so for me, the prayer was very Christian in that aspect. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, the modifications that I make for my book are very minor. I mean, it's, 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 it's this sense, you know, because, Christians perceive from a premise that that there's God that's that's effectively it's God's love that I'm sharing it's God's grace that I'm sharing and so as a Christian when I do that meditation I start with I'm breathing yeah. in God's love and God's love whereas a Buddhist doesn't do that but right. really I mean both Christianity and Buddhism seek a um, a motivation that is for the benefit of others. They're both increasingly other-directed in their focus. And so what we speak of as agopic love in the Christian tradition, that that self-sacrificing love for everyone without regard to what they do for me, is no different from what the Dalai Lama calls universal compassion, that that mindset of bodhicitta, you know, that yeah. says, I well, I want salvation not for my own sake, I want enlightenment not for my own sake, but for the sake of all of the suffering beings. And so, the, the ultimate mindset both traditions seek is the same. Yeah. Um, you know, I, yeah, that, there's so many, there's so much common, uh, and I tend, mm-hmm. I, I tend to prefer to focus on what's common because I, I, you said something at the beginning of the talk that really jumped out at me because I've heard, I've had a lot of conversations where I hear people say, well, you know, ultimately all religions are the same; they're all saying the same thing, and I'm not belittling anyone who has said that to me by by what I'm about to say next. I just I've always felt like there's so much more that needs to be talked about when we make statements like that. You know, no, that's per, right. perhaps there are there's definitely common wisdom silos. I mean, right. that 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 exists, but there are some huge differences as well. And I'm happy. I know it. I'm helped. I hate to pause the program, but I want to ask you something. Did you know that you can help me and my team at Parker Brand Creative Services grow the Find the Good News signal? For less than a fancy cup of coffee, you can become an Early Risers Club patron on our Patreon page. What's Patreon? Well, it's a way for creators to fund their projects by pooling support from those really passionate people that believe in what they're doing. Do you believe in what we're doing with Find the Good News? I hope you do. We believe that there's already enough negative news in the world, even right here at home, and that good people doing good works deserve a platform to speak from too. That's why we created Find the Good News, and we believe in that simple mission. Maybe you believe in it, too. If you do believe in finding and sharing good news, then head over to our Patreon page right now or check out the link in the show description. For a commitment of $3.33 a month, you can join the Early Risers Club of Find the Good News Patreon supporters and get access to the B-Sides, a patrons-only podcast with the crew behind Find the Good News, Parker Brand Creative Services. Each time we level up, the Patreon rewards will get bigger. If you're tired of old news, bad news, and fake news, help support Find the Good News at patreon.com slash findthegoodnews. That's patreon.com 
slash find the good news. Now, back to the episode. That's right. I mean, look, all, all truth belongs to the Holy Spirit. So there is truth in many of these traditions. But one can't say Buddhism and Christianity are the same because right. there's an enormous difference between a Buddhist meditator who believes my enlightenment is purely my own work and my the my um, position, you know, coming out of the Judeo-Christian tradition that recognizes a role for God's grace, right? And yes. so that, and, and when people ask me, I for me, that's the fundamental difference between Buddhism and Christianity. This, who's doing the work? I'm doing it, but I'm doing it with God's grace, whereas the Buddhists would say, no, this is just, I created the karma, and it's all my work yeah. to do it. And that, to me, is, so there is, so I, I think it's, I think it doesn't help to say, oh, there's no differences, they're all the same. Right. There are the differences, but on the other hand, um, there's enough common, certainly in terms of the moral system, certainly in terms of some of the practices, certainly in terms of the mindsets that we're talking about here, to say I can benefit from looking at other other traditions. Yeah, I've, I've something I've often struggled with, because see, I was raised in a Baptist church, so I didn't grow up in a, in a Catholic framework, but the Baptist church puts into, uh, put into me that there was this idea that... Um, Huh, how do I say this? I'm trying to think of the right words. I want. I almost said, you know, that the gospel is meant to be shared. Okay, and that's not the right thing because the gospel is meant to be shared. But from the way I was taught that, it wasn't really that. Hey, you need to go teach someone about Jesus and the way He showed you to live your life and to engage the world and be a, a full human being. What you need to do is go out and convince people that he is the son of God and they need to understand that so they can get into heaven. That was the way it was framed for me as a child. And that was as simple as it was. If I didn't believe anything else, as long as I believed that, I didn't need to do anything else. As I got older, I felt like that was so rudimentary. And I just had a hard time. Wasn't that I had a hard time accepting divinity or, or, you know, simplifying it down to that. I just had a hard time believing that was all there was to it, that we didn't need to do sure. anything else. I felt like there's, there's a whole world out there that we had to engage with. So from that perspective, when I would talk to someone from another faith, if I came at it from that perspective, I, it didn't matter. I had nothing to learn from them, so to speak. I All I had to do was convince them of what I believed so they would believe it, too. I don't right. know if that makes exactly. sense. But uh, so anyway, that was just something I struggled with as I as I um, moved away from that worldview. I said, okay, so now if I still believe these things, what do I do when I do engage with someone from another faith tradition that doesn't believe this at all? But but I still see all the the clear markers there that they, you know, believe in loving the other as a self. They believe in helping humanity. They have love, compassion, all those those things. Exactly. Yeah. So exactly. it's just a little, little different. Uh, <laughs> little yeah. Different. I mean, look. The hope is. It, I mean, to me, evangelization to be effective is you want people to look at you and say, "Yeah, I want the Kool Aid he's drinking." You yeah, know what I mean? Right. They want to know. You know, it's one thing to say people look at your life and say, "Yeah, there's something there," which is very different from running around telling people if they don't believe what you believe, they're going to hell. Right. Right. Well, true. Mm-hmm. Outside of my office here, there was a billboard for six months that said, um, "Are you?" Pre-? It was big, just black and yellow letters, huge. And all my all my guests have seen it. It said, "Are you prepared to die?" 
Right. And it was like needgod.com. That was the whole billboard. And people would pull up and go, man, that's pretty brutal. And I was like, yeah. So, and unfortunately, it's like that's kind of what I grew up with, really. That was the. Yeah. On the other hand, I will say just to push back a little, right? I mean, both in in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition and, in, you know, even in, you know, in exercise, there's a sense of recognizing that my death could occur at any time. Yeah. And so it's meant as an impetus to. Um, to practice in a way that I think can be very helpful. Yeah, that you're right. So, That's true. That's true. Yeah, and because, so in you know, that sense, there's something valuable in it because you know, like the and this is part of this this Lam Rim that I mentioned before, right? This sense that we always have this illusion that I've got all this time for everything, and the reality is, um, I could die at any moment. And and yeah. intellectually, we get those words, but that's not how we live our lives. Yeah, I mean, I live my life going, "Hey, I come from Southern Italian peasant stock. All the women in my family live till their 90s." I got another 30 years left well we don't know that you yeah know, we don't know i'll be alive by the time you have this podcast on your system right that's you right know? it's funny that you bring this up and i'm smiling because um I, anybody that is really close to me or been around me knows that i collect skulls not real skulls but but skull right. artwork i have skulls tattooed on mm-hmm. me even wear jewelry with skulls and you know to some they see a skull and they go oh, that's very frightening and for me it's exactly what you're talking it's a memento yeah. mori reminder that you you too may die and it may happen at any moment I've always had that sense. I mean, especially in my adult life that, hey, these days are precious. That's Just right. this moment is precious. And I could really, uh, it could happen. I could find out today that I have an illness and I may not have much time right. left. You just never know. Have right. I lived well? And not, I don't, and by live well, I don't mean have I taken for me. I mean, have I lived well? Have I been a good human being? Right. You right. know, and I think Christianity speaks to that a lot. I mean, for me, and, and so does, does Buddhism too. Uh, right. The one thing I wanted to, I wanted to kind of do with you, and this, I, this might be an interesting, strange, maybe a strange experiment, but I wanted to put two words together and see what you had to say about those two words. Um, I know some things I'd read that you'd written that kind of made me think about this. So okay. if I could say the two, the word Avalokiteshvara mm-hmm. and Christ to you, what do you have to say about those two things in, in juxtaposition to each other? Sure. Well, uh, you know, from a Buddhist perspective, you know, Avalok- Avalokiteshvara is the, uh, you know, Buddha of compassion, is a bodhisattva. And so the Buddhists would say, well, Christ is a bodhisattva, right? Obviously, a traditional Christian tradition would be um, that Christ is more than that. So Christ is is different. Um you know, at the end of the day, I think everybody's got to answer the question as to who they think Christ is for themselves. And mm. I think for some people, they might view it the same way as that. And for some, this idea of Jesus is God um, puts him on a completely different level from anyone else um, yeah. that we would. But certainly, from a Buddhist perspective, Buddhists would say, "Yeah, Jesus Christ was it was a you know is is this is the same as Avalokiteshvara or any of the other you know enlightened um, um, okay. beings." I've always wondered about that because, I mean, I, I remember when I first started reading about bodhisattvas, I would kind of discovered the writings of Shantideva. Sure. And there were certain pieces of that, the bodhisattva's way of life, that um, mm-hmm. 
honestly, I remember where I was when I heard them. I'm sure you've had experiences like that where you just yeah. read something and you go, this just, this is hitting me in a different place. It, it, and it goes far beyond yeah. a Buddhist idea. It's, it's sort of this bigger than the religion. And there were words within that that just rung so true to me and hit me right at, at whatever we are. I mean, I just felt it. Yeah. And so... I remember when I was in my 20s, I would go out every morning. I was I committed myself to learning for a certain section of it, a learning a line a day until it rung true in my heart. And I remember telling people, I said, I know that some of these words are going to sound alien when I say them. I said, but when I say these words, all I can think about is Jesus. That's all I think about is Christ. Absolutely. First of all, I think that's a wonderful book. I think Shanti Deva's Bodhicharya Vatara, The Guide to a Bodhisattva's Way of Life, is wonderful for meditation purposes. And I think you're absolutely right. I mean, one of the things that, uh, in one of the talks I gave this weekend at the retreat, I kind of went through, you know, and there are a number of Bodhisattva vows that Tibetan Buddhists take at, at certain points. Okay. And uh, I can line up an, any number of those vows against the Beatitudes. And I think if ah. there's a, a perfect illustration of what it means to live a life the way Christ invites us to, it's the Beatitudes. And, you know, I can go through and get, here's this Beatitude and here's this Bodhisattva vow. Yeah. Here's this one. And so it, it's not surprising that you would read Shantideva and have that um, reaction. I mean, yes, are you, do we going to have that reaction every single line in there? No. No. But there's a tremendous amount there, and and that the, the beginning and end of that book, the kind of motivation and the dedication, which really is about total self-sacrifice yeah. and and compassion for all beings. I mean, it's just, it's beautiful. We used it for our chanting on Saturday night wow. um, at this retreat. It's just, it's such beautiful um, sentiments. You yeah. Know? Um, yeah, I find it flies in the face of the culture we live in today, too. I mean, well, I, of course, yeah, but it, so does Christian. I mean, so <laughs> right. does every, so does the life that Christ invites us to lead. Yeah, it's right. totally, it's totally countercultural. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I I struggle with that now because the there's so much information flying at us. In fact, that's part of what this show is all about: is trying to judo flip some of that energy that we have out in the world that's taking over all the media and the airwaves with negativity and going, "Hey, look, how can we still be tell the truth?" But but put a new stream of information out there that's positive and good that people can touch, you know, Uh, and they don't have they have some choices, at least for for good information. Uh, And I I do. I struggle with that. I mean, uh, there is so much misinformation and negativity that is just flying at us every day. I I have to have a practice that can bring me home, honestly, to some degree. Do you find that in your work i mean with people that are from people that there is um almost like an anxiety in the world uh, well certainly right now there's tremendous i mean i don't want to start getting into political discussions <laughs> no, no, sure, but sure. obviously there's a tremendous amount of anxiety in the world and whether it's at um particular government policies or the climate issues and i mean there's a whole gun violence. I mean, there's a whole array of things that um, create tremendous anxiety uh, in people. And and that certainly comes up in people that I talk to on retreats or people that see me for spiritual direction. Um, but yeah, and it's not, not at all surprising that it does. And at the end of the day, the question though becomes, where ultimately is my security? Yeah. Um, and ultimately, my security is in God, regardless of. And and one of the things I think maybe, and one of the things I think that 
helps in ignition spirituality is the sense. I mean, the mindset Ignatius wants us to develop is I don't express a preference for a long life or short life, health or sickness, riches or poverty, honor or dishonor, because I recognize that everything has the capacity to deepen my life in God. Ah. God. Mm. And so, to some extent, I have to say, even this current political situation, right, has the capacity, right. you know, which is not always easy. Um, but yeah, I think what, I think that if people don't have some kind of deepened, deepening connection with God, it's hard not to be um, almost disabled by the anxiety of the time in which we live. Yeah, that's a good way to put that. It's interesting. Something sparked when you said that. I I heard some commentary recently. One of the, one of the favorite uh, scriptures that people like to throw out that I hear a lot is, um, you know, give to Caesar what is Caesar and give to God what is God's, which is usually used as a, um encouragement to pay taxes to whatever the authorities are. But this commentary I heard the other day, and I don't remember exactly who it was, but I thought it was interesting. He said, well, you know, I think there's a little bit of a trick in there, and Jesus is playing a little trick on us because he said, he's in the words of Jesus, he's saying, well, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God's. And then, you, then the next question that's implied there is, well, God's, what, is, right. what is God's? Right. And he doesn't answer that. <laughs> doesn't and the answer, answer is everything's everything. God's, right? So, right. I mean, <laughs> you know, St. Ignatius Sushape, which is part of my prayer every day, is, you know, take my liberty, my memory, my understanding, my entire will, everything I have, you've given me. And so yeah. I return it because all I need is your love and grace, right? And if, yeah, if your starting point is it's all God's, uh-huh. right, that makes a big difference. It forces you to ask that question of, well, wait, what really does belong? <laughs> Right. Does anything actually belong? Right. Exactly. exactly to Caesar. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. interesting. It's an interesting thought. Thought to have and to really sit and contemplate on. And those are the types of things about meditating on Scripture that I th- find fascinating because sometimes sometimes it takes someone else to illuminate something for you, but sometimes you can sit with a piece of Scripture and, and something else just comes out. And I'm sure that's the same way with the Ignatian exercises, right? I mean, when you're in these, imagining yourself in these scenes, mm-hmm. um, I'm sure there may be details that jump out and you go, no, well, it's interesting that I'm seeing this this time that I didn't right. see before. That's right. Yeah, and you find a new new piece of uh, wisdom. To oh, yeah. Every that. once in a while, I'm praying with a piece of scripture I've prayed with 47 zillion times before. <laughs> and then go, wow, where did they add that line before? When did they add that line? I haven't seen that one before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, know? no, I agree. I find things like that, too, that I go, wow, how did, how did this sit here? It's like, a yeah. well, it's that treasure that sits in front of you, and then it's just you're not That's ready right. for it, perhaps, mm-hmm. maybe, and it just cracks open. Or, you know what I loved about your book, and you said it just a minute ago, is the mystery element of grace. That's I mean, right. that's that's sort of like mm-hmm. the unknown for me a lot of times. I find that that just sneaks in. And I've told somebody before, I said, it's like a hot coal for me sometimes that just like burns inside of you. And it's like something is about to be born. I don't know what it is, but there's going to be an action or right. a doing that is right. a little out of my control. That sounds a little crazy the way I worded that, but it's like something like a motivation, a burning in your belly to um, a nudge, a -hmm. spiritual nudge that's coming from somewhere that's just you don't know. For me, it happens a lot. (laughs) I think that's kind of spirit and I can't explain it. Right. Right. I think I remember saying that I came out of a retreat a couple of years ago. 
And I said that to, um, I, there was a priest I hadn't seen in a while. And I remember it was another one of those weird experiences where I said, man, am I in the right place? Because he uh, said, well, Lord, I haven't seen you in a while. And I said, well, you know, I said, I, I went on a retreat. And I said, and the Holy Spirit's been moving. I've been doing some other things that just feels like where I'm supposed to be right now. And, and he was giving me a quizzical look. And I said, what's the matter? And he said, what do you mean by the Holy Spirit is is moving? And I was like, uh, Okay. I'm confused right now. <laughs> I think he and I just weren't. Again, it was that. Yeah. He wanted an intellectual answer, and I couldn't put it in a bottle. Well, that's right. That's you right. Know, I said I don't. I don't have a container for this. What I'm. What right. I'm trying to explain. So I can't put it in a bottle and stick a label on it and hand it to you. I don't know how to say it. All I can say is right. weird stuff's happening. <laughs> you know. <laughs> um. I did note I did note on your uh, website that you said you were doing a follow up book to this book. Yeah, perhaps. yeah, it's been sitting. Um, I, I I don't remember when the last time I looked at I worked on it was, so I should probably change that on my website. No, I did start a couple years ago writing a book about conversion and about my conversion from yeah. the thousand Buddhas and back, and then it it just was backburnered for a while and then i started writing a book on the spiritual exercises ah. and that started to feel like work and so i, I probably have partial manuscripts of three books sitting around <laughs> yeah. and um i have really just put most of my energy recently into actually just giving retreats and doing spiritual direction so it may be that sometime the time will be right to get back to one of those but yeah. um it's just not happening right Well, now. you do keep your blog up to date. I mean, updated. And I read um, your recent post. I think it was uh, about that, actually, yeah. I felt like. And I kind of wanted to talk about that. I mean, I have I seem to have that conversation over and over again with people on the show is that, you know, leaning into who you are sometimes right. is the best thing. I mean, now, granted, yes. if there's some toxic things that you don't, don't want to lean into, but leaning into, like, the best version of yourself. Right. I, I've, I've struggled with that my whole life, you know, and, and sensing that there's better parts parts of myself that I should probably allow to leak through the membrane a little more than the parts that I tend to embrace the most. And reading that, you know, your last blog post, I mean, I felt like that was in that territory. I was like, you know, it's a good, good piece of advice is you can, you really need to go all in with the gifts that you have. And Absolutely. So, you know, and so, yeah, if you're, if you're, you said it. It feels like work. Sometimes we know. You just go, man, this just right. isn't the right tributary to be on right now. I need yeah. to jump back in the river. Yeah, and in some sense, you know, it's none of it's wasted. I mean, I end up using a lot of stuff that was, you know, in my the book I started drafting on the exercises. Well, that stuff comes out, and when I, I give Ignatian retreats all the time, so that stuff's there. I talk about conversion quite a bit. Um, so, you know, none of it's ever wasted. It's just a question of whether it'll ever see light of day in published form the way Growing in Love and Wisdom did. Yeah. No, well, that's a beautiful book. Do you, we'll do you, do you encourage people to um, seek out knowledge about other faiths? You know, I... I kind of take my cue from what people are interested in, and it's not surprising that some people that come to me for spiritual direction come because they have been between yeah. um, traditions. That's not exclusively true. I get some people that are purely Ignatian or Catholic in their approach, but there's no question there are some people that seek me out because that is sure. their interest. Um, you know, as a spiritual director, my job is not to 
push or prod someone in any direction. It's to kind of stand in that neutral space that allows God to work with that person. Sure. Well, so. I mean, I'm not, I, I don't have a spiritual director. I've struggled with that for a while. And uh, I, I've often wondered about that as, as a spiritual director. Do you probably encounter that mo- this most people are bringing you real life ordinary things that they're dealing with every day it's not some big heavy spirit i mean what i would call a classical spiritual problem like i don't like reading scripture or i mean that's probably there too but it's probably more just real life stuff like hey marital problems dealing with children dealing with the loss of a loved one illness i mean those are all spiritual problems well, yeah, I mean, there's no, especially if, you're, if your starting point is an Ignatian spirituality that find God, finds God in everything, there's no clean bifurcation between life with God and rest of life, right? It's mm. all life with God. So, you know, my own view is that anyone who is a serious prayer or serious about deepening their um, awareness of God's present and action in their life benefits from spiritual direction because we benefit from having someone to talk to about our experience. So, some now it's true that some people look for a spiritual director because they're discerning something specific. So, a couple of years ago, I had a young woman who was discerning whether to enter religious life. Mm. And so, she came to me for spiritual direction. But often, it's just people that are they regularly pray, they regularly meditate, and they want to have a place, a container, a place to um, talk about what's going on and help someone deepen what's going on um, yeah. in their lives. No, that 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 would I can imagine that's really quite lovely. I mean, I yeah. I would say I have to I find that in my life and my wife and the people that come sure. to this table and maybe the a select few friends where I can get really intimate and talk openly. Uh, right. I can see where it would be a great benefit, though, to sit with somebody as a spiritual director who has a working knowledge of whatever your faith you're in, too, to where you can just draw from those things and give you something mm-hmm. to apply, you know, point yeah. you in the right direction towards resources and things like that. Yeah. Are there any any resources that you advise, I mean, often, that you re- recommend often to people, like books or um, audio resources <laughs> or anything like that? <laughs> yeah, I said books. Looking around. <laughs> Right, depends on what purpose, right? Yeah, right, Um, right. You know, um, there are a number of great books introducing people to Ignatian spirituality and their exercises. Um, Bill Barry, who's a Jesuit, has several um, books um, that are really good as just an introduction to this spirituality generally. Um, You know, when there are people that... um, I, I don't want to say this name. I was going to, I want to say people who have a mature spirituality, but that's going to sound wrong to the people that don't. But I find Richard Rohr's writings very mm. helpful for people, particularly people who are have expanded beyond a kind of restrictive notion of their faith yeah, um, yeah. tradition. So um, mm, that's a good choice. I agree yeah. with that. I mean, and you know, earlier you mentioned, of course, Thomas Merton, um, who for me at the time when I was struggling with my you know, where I was with God was I was extremely helpful to, um, to me. I think I have a shelf and a half of Martin's <laughs> books downstairs, but yeah. um, I've heard, I've seen maybe a, more than anyone actually needs. But Well, um, you, you, you've you referenced Merton, Merton quite a bit, and yeah. I, that for me, again, was the original connector for me. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah. I, anybody that, that's reading Merton, if you're reading Merton and you find out someone's reading a lot of Merton, most right. of the time it's not because they're just uh, doing some kind of book report. I mean, they're actually right. – something's happening. Merton moves. For me, he speaks 
he spoke in a language that I say speaks because I'm still reading. It feels like sure. he's it's strange with him for him. For me, I know he's gone, but I told somebody this the other day. I said, out of, out of all authors I've read for me, when I read Merton, I feel like he's still with us. I don't know yeah. why. I just get that really deep sure. visceral connection with what he's writing. And quite mm-hmm. often, I feel like he's reading my mind sometimes because you know, he, he yeah. was openly struggled with things and he was so sure. honest and raw, mm-hmm. um, which I loved. Yeah. And, you know. And then you mentioned two other people before. You know, I love Thich Nhat Hanh's, um, work and particularly he has a couple books about Buddhism and Christianity, Living Buddha, Living Christ, yeah. and what's the other one? I think it's called Jesus and Buddha's Brothers yeah, or something. Yeah, like that's that. it. Going home is what it's called. That's right. And Jesus some and of the Buddha Dalai Lama stuff is just wonderful. So you know, if anything, it's not that there's a shortage of stuff to read. It's just way too much. But what I always tell people is, again, why are we reading this stuff? Am I just trying to fill my head with more intellectual knowledge, or am I reading some of the stuff and really sitting with it and allowing it right. to um, really affect? Who I am. Yeah, I definitely find that I, I, as I've gotten older, I've struggled with that. When I was young, I, I was, and, and especially young and trying to understand this sort of spiritual experience that I had had, I was hungry to go. I needed a lot of perspectives because I was trying sure. to frame up mm-hmm. a mystery. I was like, yeah. I felt like I was on detective mode, you know, like, okay, let me find other um, individuals out there who've had a similar experience. Maybe their experience will tell me what's going on. And so that was one thing led to the other. So I was a little hungrier. I had a lot more time didn't have as many kids. There was a lot more going on, a lot less going on in my life. So it allowed for that. As I've gotten older, I find exactly what you said. I need to stay with a book and, and really yeah. just read it and let it soak in and, and try to yeah. apply what I'm reading uh, exactly. in a different way. This episode's Fishing for Goodies Fishbowl sponsor is Brimstone Museum and Henning Cultural Center in Sulphur, Louisiana. I don't know what you look for when you travel, but one of the things I look for when I'm putting together my itinerary is a unique museum or gallery in the city I'm traveling to. I do this almost every time I go to a new city, but if I'm being honest, I'm guilty of not always doing that very thing right here at home in Sulphur, Louisiana. That's really a shame because we have one of the most interesting, historically relevant, and culturally rich corners in any city in the country about two minutes from where I'm sitting right now. I'm talking about the Brimstone Museum and Henning Cultural Center. Have you ever really thought about why our city is named Sulphur? They've got a permanent exhibit on the history of the sulphur industry that answers that simple question and more. You really get a full scope of just how important the sulphur mining industry was to the development of Southwest Louisiana and the impact it had on the rest of the world. Yes, the rest of the world. On the same property, right next door to the museum, is the Henning Cultural Center, presenting some of the most interesting, modern, and culturally relevant local art shows I've ever seen. My dear friend Tom Trahan and the Brimstone Historical Society have really worked hard to give us this treasure, and it's a multifaceted jewel that I plan to take advantage of more often. You don't have to wonder what their hours are, or how to get there, or what shows are coming up. Just go to brimstonemuseum.org, like I did, and subscribe to their mailing list right there on the homepage. That's brimstonemuseum.org. Tom will make sure you start getting the announcements for each and every new show at the gallery. But you don't have to wait for the mail to arrive to enjoy this historical local treasure. You don't have to be guilty, like me, of overlooking a local wonder that conveniently sits next to the Grove, one of the most beautiful walking parks in southwest Louisiana. Drop in and say hi to Tom for me. 
tour the museum and center, and make sure to tell Tom that you heard about Brimstone Museum on Find the Good News. Now, let's take that dive in the fishbowl. Well, this has been really great. I've, I've taken up an hour of your time. I um, There is one tiny little part of the show we call the fishbowl. I didn't know I was going to get to show you video, but this is the fishbowl. So okay. I don't know if you've listened to the show or not, but we have the, the last part of the show is called Fishing for Goodies. And this is where I, t- I give up my interviewing mode to this bowl right here um and so each guest draws three questions typically they draw them themselves but since you're not here i'm going to draw them for you and i've actually already pulled three of them out uh, before we started talking and so if you don't mind we're just going to go through these and have a little discussion about these three questions so the first question i drew is this it says describe the last time you misjudged a situation and what you learned from it Yikes. I know, right? <laughs> it's um, like, dang, that's a that's a big one. <laughs> yeah, you know, the problem is I'd have to sit with that one for a long time there. Um, yeah. Well let me can I reframe it though? Has there ever yeah, been something where and bring it maybe more home to our conversation, has there ever been anything in, in when you uh chose Buddhism, I would say, I'm gonna mm-hmm. you put it that way, that you had a misconception about and you went, Oh, this isn't what I thought it was. Or even even Christianity, Catholicism. Was there something that you went, hmm, this isn't quite the way I, um, this isn't quite what I remember or the way I understood it? Yeah, and what I would say in Buddhism is one of the things that attracted me to Buddhism was the Buddha's insistence that you don't accept things merely because someone tells you it, but because it is the product of your experience. And one of the things ultimately that was my problem in staying in the Tibetan Buddhist community I was in, is that many people, and this was particularly true of many of the Westerners, uh, just whatever the Lama said, period. Yeah. You know, that's what they said. And that, to me, was very counter to my understanding of, um, it, well, really counter to what attracted me to Buddhism in the first place. Yeah, no, I agree. I, In fact, I find sometimes that particular teaching from the Buddha, you know, put it to the test, mm. uh, probably has caused me a lot of problems with making friends in the local parishes because I've never just there's a lot of people that grew up in the church and have stayed in a parish and they've been with one priest perhaps um, will say hey whatever father says is the way it is and I just immediately for me that sends up a flag not that there's any reason to not trust that priest I just immediately go well shouldn't we put this to the test and at least let's see if it's applicable and real and true and do a little digging I don't just take it as a total faith face and faith value and so that (laughs) I've struggled with that to be honest I mean it's caused me a little grief yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, thanks. That was a good, good little twist on that on a, on a question that was a little difficult. Actually, I don't know what I would have yeah. said to that one either. Um, okay. So there's question number two. What is something you think everyone should do at least once in their lives? <laughs> Go on pilgrimage. Yes. Yeah, I walked the Camino de Santiago uh, five years ago or six years ago. I can't remember. Um, And it was a really, really powerful experience. So whether it's a short pilgrimage or a long pilgrimage to just kind of, um, you know, absent yourself from the ordinary and uh, carry what you minimally need and go off. And and if if short of that, if you can't at least do that, then at least go on retreat somewhere for, you know 
eight days or we, you know, as as, as uh, in ignition retreat, I I do you know try to do an eight day retreat every year, um, and I boy I do think as much as as important as I think daily prayer and meditation is, there is something about pulling yourself out of ordinary time and really having that concerted time with God. Yeah, you know I agree. I mean I I don't I guess it's strange and, and not to get too deep up on it, but every year I take one little three day retreat that I've kind of made yeah, for right. myself, and I've been doing mm-hmm. it for almost twenty five years. And I go to the place where I had that experience when I was younger, and I'm still going and still asking questions twenty five years right. later. And it's I've watched the world change around that place, but I go there by myself. I don't bring people with mm-hmm. me because I need it. I need to go and get into that space where I've right. and lay the world down for a little while and just mm-hmm. sort of be alone with my own being and and still asking questions. You know, I've learned right. some things, but I've made some mistakes, and and I'm also still learning some things. Right. I, I guess that's the part of the beauty of a retreat. Absolutely. Absolutely. Good. All right. Last question. All right. Uh, Conversations you want to have with blank. So is there anybody that you would just love to have a conversation with about a particular thing? And who is that person? It could be anybody. Uh, Living living or dead? dead Living or or dead. Yeah. You know, um, Probably someone who is more complicated. Like I like Stephen Hawking's in terms of his <laughs> understanding of where God or not God in yeah. his way of thinking. Yeah, um, right, right. I that's, don't know if that would be the only one, but it's funny. That's that. It's funny that that's the name. That's first name that popped into mind. I love that because you kind. I mean, yeah. Who most people want to have a conversation with people that sort of reaffirm their own thinking or maybe right, satiate right. a curiosity. <laughs> yeah. that's an interesting choice because it's sort of a, a polar polarized view. I mean, yeah. it's a great understanding of the the physical nature of the universe right. and all these theories. These wonderful theories. Yeah. But yet a hard boiled atheist. Yeah. You know, so that would be a very interesting conversation. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. My my initial answer to that, a few other people have had a similar question on the show. And for me, my initial answer, my, I've lost my father a few years ago. And so immediately I just think of him. You know, I go, I yeah. would love to just have now that some time has passed and I've had time to really meditate on him and have, but I still have lots of questions to really sit just for a while and have that conversation you know answer some and scratch those itches Um, well i have one last question and it's on the back of a coffee mug and this is the final question i ask every guest Um, i'm gonna send you this mug so i need to get your shipping information okay but uh on the back it says did anything good happen today (laughs) well you know i uh part of my daily prayer part of my daily examine is always what are the things you're most grateful for um today and so my the first thing i did today after i left the house um was see my own spiritual director and that's always a good thing for oh, me oh wow so man was, yeah. spiritual directors have spiritual directors Abs- oh absolutely that's I, right. I, I, in fact the ethical guidelines under which i operate include that i'm myself am in spiritual direction oh yeah. wow that's wonderful which makes sense doesn't it i mean it yeah. really really does yeah yeah well that that's wonderful good. we all need somebody <laughs> No matter no matter where we're at or what, where what stage in our life we're in, that's, that's beautiful. Absolutely. Well, this has been a huge treat for me. Uh, you know, I was honestly a little nervous. I'm not going to lie. 
you know, after reading your book and listening to so much of your podcast, your podcast actually is, is travels with me every time I go on retreat. That's what I listen to driving okay. there and back. So it's a great source for me. Is there, um, what are the places that people should find you connect with you if you want them to, uh, well, my website is pretty easy because it's my name, susanstabile.com. Yeah. Um, and the blog, Creo on Dios, is linked on the website. Um, and actually on the website, I also have some videos of some talks I've given that have not, um, that maybe are not in the podcast. Oh, or great. Otherwise. But, um, yeah, and I think the podcasts are all on um, uh, iTunes as well. In fact, I know they are. They're all on iTunes, too. Yeah. So it's, it's not that hard. It's not hard to find <laughs> Right. Not hard to find. No, I'll find. I'll I'll put some links in the show description. But this has been a real treat. Thank you for your time. Thanks for listening to my Beacon Series conversation with Susan Stabile. If you found something of use in this visit, consider helping me spread the good news by supporting the show at Patreon.com/slash Find the Good News. I thank you for your time, your love and for pressing play.